Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast, where we gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. And that is definitely the case this week as the Shocktober Marathon rolls on out the station with spooky, scary paranormal activity no it is not a documentary about dalton's love life indeed we're going to talk about demons and all kinds of other good witchy stuff it's going to be fun do you know that this isn't a documentary about my love life though can you be certain i actually don't know that for there is an earth too where i am way too much like mika in this movie and uh man that guy sucks we don't like that version of me at all we are not fans of mika we are more big fans of katie um but more on that anon dear listener let's identify the disembodied voices speaking directly to your brains through the audio media by which you are listening to this show to my left sir who are you i am arthur gordon and dalton you have anything you want to say now this time in english Good try, good try, very good. All right, to my right, sir, who are you? My name is Dalton Stewart, and all my hexes... Nope, <laughs> screwed it up. <laughs> all my exes cast in hexes. That's true. You were close. Yeah. It was tried. Yeah, it's fine. My name is Dustin Sells, and I believe what we just did is probably illegal in Kentucky and 20 other states. Arthur is a freak. And That's true. It's true. I seen it. <laughs> they made me turn the recording off, but... There's a cut out there somewhere. There, <laughs> someday. Rele- release, release the Arthur cut. The Santa Cruz release. Police Department Hashtag will release, release the, the video uh, to Paramount Pictures, allegedly, apparently. Uh, look, I know we're, we're jumping ahead, uh, putting the cart before the horse here a little bit. I really love the idea that uh, the in-fiction nature of this movie of uh, Paramount would like to thank the San Diego Police Department and the families of ugh, I love it. I yeah, think it works it's a nice great. Touch. It's yeah. San Diego it for this it's Santa Cruz for the sequel, right? Is that right? I don't know. I don't know if I've actually seen any of the sequels for these. Uh, I have seen the third one. I'm sure we'll get into that. I was going to try to watch as much of the series as I could, but I was traveling this week so that did not work out. I, I watched the first four. Oh, awesome. Calm down. I, I well, I'm hey, No, thank you for doing your homework. I, I'm I'm committed. We'll get there. I'm we'll, We'll talk about how you're more committed than Arthur. My love is a commitment to you. You're going to get committed if you keep watching sequels for this marathon. (laughs) Uh, So, anyway, uh, in case you're tuning into the Good Trash Genre cast for the very first time, dear listener, this is what's about to happen. We are going to do an analysis show, not a review show, which will involve spoilers. And so that means we will talk about how this thing ends. But we will not do it right away. We will try to avoid spoilers at first in case you want to hear what we have to say up until um, those spoilerific things. So this is how it goes down. We have a synopsis from the voice of the cinema. That's Arthur. Then we have our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. That's all of us. Then we play a game. That's not me, typically. But um, I play, but my participation sometimes is Ooh. Anyway, and then we get into the business at hand, which is that analysis, and all spoiler bets are off. You have been warned. Without any further ado, Dr. Arthur Gordon, um, the demonologist of the crew, can we hear that synopsis, please? After moving into a suburban home, a couple becomes increasingly disturbed by a nightly demonic presence. That's that's exactly what happens. I'm going to throw a curveball and stop Dustin from throwing for review because I know he normally does that. But Dustin, uh, you chose this. I did. Uh, the conceit of this year's Shocktober, Shocktober 7, the, the sevening, um, is that we're all picking uh, some of our favorite horror movies that we have not gotten around to talking about on the show yet. And uh, you threw down Paranormal Activity. So uh, why'd you pick it? Why do you like it? 
go. Mostly because we haven't seen it. Is that a reason enough? By itself? I mean, kind of, yeah, but elaborate. <laughs> I, I do like it a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason why is even though it begins to be... Uh, so we got Blair Witch Project, and then we've got this film, and then we've got like eight gazillion found footage horror movies. Like, they found the gimmick, like they found the slasher gimmick in the early 80s. And it's weird that they didn't find the gimmick in the early 2000s, right after Blair Witch. It is kind of weird. It that waits it, a minute. It, yeah. It's interesting to me, yeah. Is that part of why you chose it because it, it was kind of like a delayed reaction on finding that that niche subgenre. I, I think the delayed reaction itself is interesting, and I think the genre itself, if we're going to call it, it's more of a style than a genre. If we're going to be really accurate, for sure, though. yeah. But the style itself is itself interesting and quite affecting, and because it is so overdone, so maligned, I thought it'd be worth looking at these early entries mm-hmm. in that particular uh, style uh, or mode of making film, and uh, just talk about how uh, really effective this movie is. Because I got to tell you. When I watch Paranormal Activity, it is genuinely scary. It is genuinely unsettling. The performances are great. Mika is uh, detestable, and that's perfect because there are some detestable people in the world. Katie Featherstone, I... It makes me so mad that this actress has not had like a huge career after she's this so movie. Good. She is amazing in this movie, and it's mostly ad libbed mm-hmm. and, and the sort of realism that they're able to uh, sort of capture. The way in which they're able to take the idea of found footage from Blair Witch, where these people are filming themselves, you know, sort of making a documentary, into a situation where it's more uh, dipping its toe into that uh, realm of the uh, the ghost hunter, which will later on uh, find its way into a reality television programs mm-hmm. uh, of those kind. <laughs> Of names. Are you here? Yeah, that kind of thing. The, the ghost hunters trying to pick fights with ghosts will never stop being funny to me. Yeah, them and their stupid shirts. They're, oh, they're beautiful but dazzled Chris Angel shirts. Uh, Freaking dorks. Yeah, I hate them all. They're terrible. But I, that whole idea, the, de- the dealing with the idea of reality versus non-reality, that idea that we're going to see in analysis, uh, what's happening uh, with this particular mode and what's happening in a world full of surveillance, I think all of that is really, really interesting. And it's just a fun and well-made little horror film. And uh, that's why I like the movie so much, and that's why I recommended it. So, without any further ado, uh, Dalton, why do you or do you not like Paranormal Activity the no, first? No, I, I like it quite a bit. Uh, I have not seen this film in years. Uh, I might have seen it one time since I, I, I saw it in theaters, like opening night, like a Thursday early you know, screening. Um, so, like at 10 p.m., uh, the Thursday it came out. Um, and I have maybe seen it one other time since then, and even that I'm not 100% sure on. So it's it's been a minute since I saw this, and I was shocked at how well it holds up. Uh, because having seen, uh, well, it, I believe the uh, academic term is a shit ton of uh, found footage movies since this film was released, uh, you know, I, I know the tricks of the trade at this point pretty well. Uh, and I think there's a reason that paranormal activity kicks off so many of these films. I'm sure we'll talk about that when we get into analysis, but it really does lay in a a, Blair, Witch is a hard film to mimic because it's doing a lot. It's honestly much more experimental in, in the way it uses that found footage mode. Paranormal activity like lays out a pretty clear cut blueprint of how to make a damn good found footage film. And I think that's a huge part of kicking off this big spate of imitators, including some of its own sequels. And yet, this film is kind of singular. There's something... The the low-tech 
lo-fi aspects of it. I mean, uh, the initial budget before Paramount picked it up was like 15000 and then Paramount, I think, pumped a, like a mill in post-production after they picked it up from a festival. Um, that lo-fi nature really, I think, intensifies the scares because it, it, it does such a good job of, of existing in this middle ground of unreality, right? We all know... It has been franchised and sequelized. We know that this is not real. And even in 2009, when this film got its theatrical release, I think discerning viewers who uh, remember the Blair Witch uh, phenomenon were like, okay, this is, a, this is a narrative film. And yet, it does such a good job of making you go, or is it? And I think that's kind of to the film's strength. And it's something that a lot of other found footage movies fail to capture is they uh they don't lean more into okay this is a movie and you know it's a movie or they lean too much into it and they they break the their the rules paranormal activity sticks to its rules very intensely you are always aware of the camera the filmmaker Oren Pelly, i think is the director of this first entry yes yeah, he does such a good job of always saying nope this is where the camera is you know where the camera is you see where it gets set up on its tripod at night you see it get taken down you see it in the mirror you are never allowed to forget about where the POV that you, the viewer, have is, uh, whether it's in the room and, you know, whether it's being carried around throughout the day. And that does such a great job of putting you as a fly on the wall for what is going on, giving you this feeling that you were watching something that has, in fact, been found. Uh, it's, you know, films like... Uh, uh, Oh, gosh, what's that superhero movie we all kind of like? Chronicle. Chronicle. Chronicle does kind of a bad job of this. It kind of breaks its own rules. And by the end of the film, you're sucked in so it doesn't matter. But it stops being a found footage movie at a certain point. It's either either make a found footage movie or don't. Um, you know, make a small budget movie. You don't need to cheat. Uh, and I think that's where Paranormal Activity succeeds where so many others fail is it always follows its rules there's not a whole bunch of cameras where it's cutting back and forth, and you're like, wait a second, who's got this camera? Has this camera been here the whole time? What's going on here? It does such a great job of of following its rules, sticking to the script that it's set out for itself. And, uh, yeah, the, the scares are effective. As Dustin's mentioned, the performances are really naturalistic and mostly improvised. And uh, the the special effects for the, the, the ghosty scares are super cool. And uh, it stays in that realm of, you know, there's nothing big really that happens. It's shit that goes bump in the night. We've all got creaky pipes and, you know, weird AC units and, you know, at all that makes our house a little too noisy in the evening. I love it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it sets out to uh, pull off an effective job uh, and it does so admirably. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you like paranormal activity? Why or why not? Yeah, I, I find it to be an effective film, much like Dalton said. I, I, I'd have to echo, I think, a lot of his sentiments here. Um, uh, the simplicity of it works. Uh, the you know the effect of we're scared of the things we don't see uh, is played to great effect, and I, I think it's very effective uh, for those reasons. Uh, this is the second time I've seen it. It had been a long time. I'd watched it on DVD a few months after it came out and hit home media, um, and I thought it was effective then. I think it's effective now. Uh, from a narrative standpoint, I do get a little flustered because it feels very repetitive. It's nighttime sequence, arguing during the day. And it does escalate some, but it, it kind of wanes for me uh, towards the third act. Uh, but I think it finishes super strong. Um, I love uh, Katie, as we've already said. Mika's a jerk. I hate him. I hate everything about him. Um, 
and uh, I, I, I love that natural element. They, they maintain their real names. They're Katie and Mika in real life, and that's their name. You know, it adds to that. Uh, dropping the credits is effective. And I was frustrated. It's been so it's been so while, long since I seen it. I forgot how it ended. Um, but I'm always f- frustrated when a found footage film has edits or cuts mm-hmm. and those kind of title cards and things like that. Um, but the way it's framed at the beginning and the end uh, lets us know that it has been found and somebody has put this together. Yeah, um, which helps uh, salvage that element of it. So I, I think it's uh, strong. I think it it moves well. Um, kind of get caught up in this what's going to happen next thing about it. Uh, it escalates when it needs to escalate, uh, especially the the nighttime sequences uh, when she gets spoopy and just stands by the bed for like two hours. Uh, it's great effect. Oh, wait, um, super unnerving. Yeah. Uh, when we see, you know, footprints and things like that, it works. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it does a great job. Uh, the awareness uh, that Pelly has, like you mentioned, for placing that camera where it needs to go and letting us know that, um, it's, it's good. I, I don't really have much negative to say other than some narrative issues I have with it. Uh, I, I got I to gotta tell a story. Okay, I, hit I, it. Uh, so the standing in front of the bed thing, mm-hmm. the time I nearly killed my son, oh. is, is what I want to tell. Oh, him. no. So, I, think I, I think I've heard the story. So yeah, he's yeah, yeah. probably seven, maybe eight years old, uh-huh. and he'd come to our room to uh, awaken us for whatever reason. I mean, he was scared yeah. or he needed to go to the bathroom or whatever, and he had uh, spoken to get our attention, which was enough to sort of give that sense of waking, mm-hmm. but then he just was very, very, being a good boy, very patiently waiting. And I had woken up with his initial inquiry, whatever it happened to be, Mm -hmm. but I didn't realize it was an inquiry that had awoken me. And then I look up, and there is a figure standing above my bed. And at about the same time my wife awakened, in time to uh, basically hook my elbow as I was coming across with a big right cross. Because I was a, I was going to kill somebody who was standing in front of my bed. Yeah. And my kid collapses into a bed of tears. Uh, it was terrible, terrible moment. Mysterious figure uses Lear at bed. It's super effective. Yes. <laughs> it, it, yeah, absolutely. This is before I'd seen the movie. Yeah. Oh, man, if, you, if, that, if that happens... After you see this movie? Yeah, yeah, the kid's dead. There's, that's a kid that gets put through some drywall yeah, in an yeah, accident. Yeah, there's no hook that's going to stop that uh, cross from coming across. Yeah, yeah, that's just a big shoulder coming at you. Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, gonna to kill yeah, somebody. Yeah, that's, that's 100 some odd pounds of dust and just flying through the air. So it turns out, um, fight or flight, I pick fight. Yeah, man, that's <laughs> a horrifying... God, good to know. Oh, boy. Uh, Keep him on your side. Uh, Dr. Fiance and I watched this together, and the entire time I was like, don't, please don't do it. Don't, don't stare at me while I'm sleeping. Don't, please don't. <laughs> I don't need that. It's uncomfortable. We're, yeah. Uh, is that the creepiest aspect of everything that happens here? It's one of. It's it's a big one. Because the, it's the human, right? I mean, yeah, it's the human element. There's something very unnerving about uh, that human element of it. Uh, knowing that uh, the thing that's going on is starting to uh, force the characters to lose control. And uh, um, the, the desire to maintain control is something I'm sure we'll talk about when we get to analysis. But uh, it's one of the m- most unnerving scares in the film. I think you're right, Arthur, though, about the, the pacing stuff. Uh, once the, we've escalated to a certain point and then just kind of like lose momentum a little bit. And uh, I think we might talk about that later on when we talk about other entries in the franchise, potentially. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, there you go, dear listener. Those are our biases. They are generally pro towards paranormal activity. Let's talk about social media. Dalton, say the words. That's right, Dustin. Much like one would use a Ouija board to communicate with demonic forces from beyond the grave, you too can use the internet to communicate with your favorite podcasters. Uh, Hopefully that's us. If it's not, 
I understand. Uh, but yeah, the you use the internet. Use this dark force that we don't know enough about to communicate with forces we don't understand. Yeah. Bring scary things into your device as it's in your pocket. Always there. Always watching. Always listening. What I'm telling you is to get off the internet. Uh, if I can't stop you from doing that, though, you might as well check out what we've got going on while you're on the internet. We are on Twitter at good underscore trash. That's where you can find out everything we've got going on. Uh, whether it's uh, us asking you what you think about Venom, uh, posting a really, really great article from Vox about rape culture and 16 Candles, uh, whether it's telling you what we're doing in Shocktober. We, we try to we try to keep it fun and informative over there, at good underscore trash on Twitter. Uh, we're also on other social medias. Just Google good trash media. I, it's fine. You don't need to be on Instagram or Facebook or really anything. Don't do it. It's cooking our brains and not in a fun way. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us in a way that's a little less intensive, send us an email, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Love that long-form feedback. If you want to make sure the world knows how much you love this show, uh, give us a rating, a review, and a subscription on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, however you put this in your ear holes. Uh, that would mean a lot to us. Uh, you know what? It's also really nice when you just tell people you like about the show. If you're into this and uh, you think it's uh, something worth sharing, Put it out in the world. Uh, be, be a Johnny Appleseed for this content that we're popping out here at the content farm. Come on down to Good Trash Media's all-organic podcast content. Uh, that's as far as I got with that bit. Uh, finally, if you think this dumb shit uh, that I'm saying right now is worth your money, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash gtm. Throw a couple nicker, nickels in the coffers. I almost Throw said knickers. Knickers. In the knickers. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Give me, give me those undergarments. Uh, please don't send me your underwear. I don't need that in my life. I'm I'm a, almost a married man. I I don't I don't want your your dirty undos. Uh, but yeah, throw throw us some throw us some dollars uh, if if you think this is worth it to you. Uh, whether you like this show or the Borgo Cast uh, or uh, the Praise Down with Heath and Alex, or maybe you just really love Dustin's web series with his baby. Um, yeah. The one I nearly killed. Not a literal baby. He's a teen now. Dustin is not watching The Predator <laughs> with a ba- with an actual baby. He could be. Uh, yeah, she would know. That's true. You could watch anything with a baby. Uh, maybe don't. I don't maybe, know. Maybe not. I've never, you've raised more children than I have. You would know better. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's how you do the thing with the internet and us. I'm done. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Dalton. I think it's now time to play the game. That's right, and we're back with this week's game, our favorite cinematic demons. That's right, favorite cinematic demons, brought to you by the unnamed spooky demon and paranormal activity. Demons, they're a good go-to bad guy. His name is Toby. Oh, that's right. We do get to learn that in the in the sequels. You mean Kuta Kinte? No. <laughs> I see what you're doing there. <laughs> Oh no. oh no! This joke works on levels. <laughs> now, because Toby is the name that the humans give him. <laughs> it's true. It's not really his name, and that's maybe why the the demon. Oh man! I yeah. If we try to unthread this uh, yarn ball, we're gonna go to some bad places. I don't want to play with yowzers. this. I'm just gonna let you guys clean on my messes. Yeah, no, I'm done messing with this hot potato. Okay, so Arthur. Lavar say- Burton has never done anything. That's one. I. That's like losing Mister Rogers. I. Lavar Burton. Buddy, if you're listening, please tell me you didn't do anything bad ever. I, no. I need to know that you were good and pure of heart. Always. 
Take a look. He had some overdue books. That's, that's, <laughs> the... that's got to be the worst thing LeVar Burton's ever done. Is, yeah. Unforgivable. <laughs> Steal books from the library. Uh, take hey. a look. Hey, Ar- Arthur, can you can you tell me a favorite demon? Uh, my first one is a goofy one, um, just because. And that is going to be uh, Zarathos or the Ghost Rider, uh, as played by Nicolas Cage, uh, oh. Johnny Blaze oh himself. Um, because it's Nick Cage being Nick Cagey. What do you want from him? Yeah. He's a cagey guy, and I appreciate that. Uh, that movie's not good. Um and is definitely an outlier. How is Spirit of Vengeance? I haven't seen it. You haven't actually. seen it yet. Okay. Seen it it, it is actually worse. Oh, that's too bad. You I see, think that's yeah, and that's a really unfortunate because uh, when you when it was announced that the Crank guys were making a Ghost Rider sequel, I was like, okay, hold on, I might see this movie. And uh, yeah, it seems to be the consensus. It's somehow worse. It's been a while since I've seen the first one. I feel like it's a self serious film, which probably hurts it. Um, and you, you got to have the right director with Nick Cage. I mean, that's the big thing we've learned over the years. Yeah, um, he's a very interesting guy that has a very unique style yet to play with, and uh, I, I don't just think anybody can can direct Nick Cage to effect. No, um, but it's cool. I mean, the Ghost Rider idea is cool. I mean, this guy just gets taken over, possessed by a ghost head demon, the rides around on vengeance. a motorcycle. Yeah, he's got a flaming skull on a motorcycle. Throughout the generations, he rides a horse in the westerns, and now yeah, he he's does. Got a motorcycle, and I think he's got a car. Is in there the... a Sam Elliott cameo in that one? Yeah, he's yeah. the older. He's, he's, he's the, the older, older Ghost Rider. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, and now he's got a car in the comics and on Agents of Shield. Yep. That guy's cool as heck. So that's cool. I mean, it's cool. It's an evolving structure. I think you can do a lot with it. And he's kind of this avenging demon, kind of a flip of the avenging angel idea. And I yeah. think that's cool. So that's, that's my first kind of throw out there goofball pick. Man, those comic book movies from post Spider Man to pre Iron Man are the Fox ones. I mean, the Fox yeah, the Fantastic ones, Fours. Yeah. I mean, they're all very strange. Ghost Rider. I'd like to revisit Hulk though. I, mean, I know it's getting some redemption stories out there, so I'd like to revisit and see what I think now. I'm right there with you. All right. Well, Dalton, what is your first pick for favorite cinematic demons? My first favorite cinematic demon is also uh, somebody that's made the jump from comics to the screen. It is Anokunrama, a.k.a. Hellboy, a.k.a. Ron Perlman, a.k.a. Uh, uh, this yes. beautiful dad-bodied detective or uh, police chief from uh, from Stranger Things soon. David uh, Harbour. Yeah. Thank you. I couldn't remember David Harbour's name. Uh, man, I'm excited about that new Hellboy movie, speaking of. He looks good in it. He looks great. It's uh, got What's-His-Doodle from The Descent uh, directing. Uh, Neil? Uh, I about to say Blobcamp. No, is not it Marshall? Camp. Yep, that's it. That is, it is Neil Marshall. So, yeah, look, Hellboy's great. Uh, it truly is a wonderful character. Um, while I think we're all very sad we didn't get to see uh, Del Toro and Perlman get together for uh, One Last Ride, Frankly, it's it's been a decade. It, it was time to like if we're going to do more of this, we should probably start from scratch. And uh, I don't know, it's a cool character. I've never actually gotten into Mike Miguel's uh, comic series that much, but uh, as you have heard many times on this show before, we are all very big fans of both Hellboy films here at Good Trash. Um, the second one, uh, more so. Yes. Honestly, having recently rewatched both of them, I gotta say, I think two's a stronger film, but I, I think they're both very very good. Very beautifully designed in terms of the world and the creatures, and but most of all, it's it's a very well fleshed out character for you know a comic book character that's uh, a literal demon, um, and is you know just a cigar chomping, uh, wisecracking uh, big baby. Well, the great thing is on two they let Guillermo grow his horns out, so he kind of got to become unbridled for a while, and make his movie, which was a nice uh, nice change of pace. Yeah. I see what you did there. I, I like it. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm in, I'm in favor of that joke. I'm I'm a big fan of it, honestly. Uh, yeah, there, there's only two things Hellboy can promise you. Uh, number one, he's always going to look this good, and uh, he's never going to stop fighting. And that's a that's a hell of a character. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Very good pick. I like it very much. I'm going to start with a heavy hitter. I love the movie The Exorcist. It's come up before. Pazuzu is interesting. Dumb name. Cool demon. Cool, yeah, very dumb name. Uh, that sort of Iranian you know, mythology that goes along with it and just being used in a very, very effective film. I don't know if I like the demon so much as much as I just like the movie. And, Fair enough. And the movie is freaking is just killing it. Uh, with that particular film, I know it's a pretty good demon. It says some very mean demony things. Well, the, yeah, the the dialogue is great, but that's Regan's performance or uh, Regan, the yeah. actress playing Regan. Whatever. It's the writing of the character of the demon, though, right? Truth, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, um, I just, Karis. <laughs> so funny. I can't say any of the lines. No, I'm not going to either. No, they're not... they're very they're very filthy. They're very upsetting, but yeah, Pazuzu is my first pick. So moving on down the pike, uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon, your number next pick for favorite cinematic demons. Pumpkin head. <laughs> oh, Arthur. Arthur coming in strong with his, his pumpkin head. I got, I got on a real big pumpkin head kick last week for some reason. Uh, I, Have I, you watched any of the sequels yet? I didn't. I figured I'd probably be best to stop after one. Fair um, enough. It's probably wise. And it was it was good. I was It was a movie that I always kind of put off because I think I'd seen glimpses because as a Because it's kid. called pumpkin head. <laughs> well, that. I think I'd seen glimpses as a kid, and I'm like, oh, this just looks bad. Yeah. Like, But I, I watched it on a whim uh, a week or so ago, and I, I enjoyed it. I, I Lance Henderson has a great performance in it. Uh very emotional. I, I appreciate that, and uh, it's got some campiness to it. But it's a fun creature design. Uh, is a little goofy, born out of the pumpkin patch of you know. But it's a demon event. Maybe I just like venging demons. It's Maybe scary. That's what it is. Uh, movies, etc. More Oklahoma, the uh, movie store that I frequented as a child. Uh, they had Pumpkinhead, man. And every time I walked by it, it's kind of scared the shit out of me. Honestly, I'm a sucker for a good creature design, and I think Pumpkinhead has a good design. I. I I think it's somewhat effective uh, within the narrative. Uh, that kind of backwoodsy folklore thing has it's got going on for it. I appreciate that element. I'm a big sucker for folklores. And uh, speaking of folklore that... and creature design, you just watched the ritual, didn't you? I did, and it's got that in spades. Oh mm-hmm. man, the... we got to talk about that movie soon. I know we need to do it. Some, Good trash sometime. nights, baby. Good trash nights. That's my second pick. All right, very very good, sir. The Mr. demons of good trash nights. <laughs> the demons oh, of good trash nights. Yeah. I like it. What is your number next pick, Dalton Stewart? Uh, much like Hellboy, my number next pick is Big and Red, and uh, hails from Down Under. Uh, it is Be- Paul Hogan. No, it's, dang, I really know it's not Paul Hogan. It's the Babadook. Uh, it's Bezel Boss, uh, <laughs> aka Bezel Bub from Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny. It's the Devil himself, played by Dave Grohl. Uh, have you guys seen Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny? No. This is a film that ends, uh, much like is alluded to in the Tenacious D song, uh, Tribute. Uh, this is a song where uh, Jack Black and Kyle Gass have a rock off with the devil, uh, played by Dave Grohl. And uh, Dave Grohl's musicianship is uh, on strong display. It is literally only one scene of the movie, but it, it makes the film. It is one of the silliest things ever uh, it's a song that features uh, Jack Black consistently uh, reminding the devil that if they lose the rock off, he can take Kyle Gass back to hell to be his love slave. And Kyle Gass being like, wait, what? I'm sorry, huh? Uh, and Jack Black just be like, no, no, just go with it. We're going to win. Don't worry about it. It's And uh, Dave Grohl just uh, really crushes it. Uh, it's a fun performance. He is having the time of his life and is in some very, very uh, just elaborate devil makeup. It's it's a It's a fun time. 
Excellent. I like that pick very, very much. Uh, my number next pick is from the Insidious series, and that is the red-faced demon. Oh, yeah. The uh, tiptoe through the tulips. That Darth Maul-looking guy. That, oh, my goodness, yes. And he's got cloven hooves. Uh, again, uh, creature design, I think, is really important here because uh, they, they definitely have the backward-turned legs, and so it's a very, very <laughs> goat-like uh, bottom half of the creature and uh, long mouth, long tongue, long fingernails, and, again, Darth Maul face and terrifying it's like mr tumnus fell out of the wrong wardrobe mm. oh, that's the, the yeah you went in the wrong yeah for sure if you find that tumnus um <laughs> he, he does not have parcels for christmas you know he, he is he is the result of the uh, chronicles of nardia star wars slash fiction uh, nobody wanted <laughs> oh my goodness I'm just thinking about a demon with a lightsaber now, and I don't want that to happen. You ever. don't want that. No, that's you terrifying. don't know what you know what a demon's going to do. But with I that. think the first Insidious movie is really, really solid. It's good, and uh, I'm the second one too, for uh, to a lesser extent. No, nah, it's well, bad. I, uh, I like that. That's little... nice of you to go to bat for it. Nah, okay, but um, I really do like that particular demon. So there you go. That's my number next pick. Uh, what's your number last pick, Arthur? I'm going to go with the uh, uh, the ensemble of the Cenobites. Ah, oh, you dirty dog. <laughs> uh, speaking of creature design, uh, Pinhead is a very effective-looking uh, Cenobite, but they are all ghastly and disturbing, and uh, it's a great sequence when they do show up in Hellraiser. Um, they're they're you know described as extraterrestrial beings who are have been called angels and have been called demons, and I think for our purposes, I'm going to call them demons because they are very spoopy. Uh, and straight out of uh, Hellbound Heart, so uh, I'm I'm gonna go with that one. I'm gonna tag in also because that is my number last pick as well, and I love that there is also this sort of puzzle box, this sort of uh, demonic uh, possessed toy, uh, the Rook's Cube from Hell. Uh, Don't go solving spooky cubes. <laughs> Don't do it. And Stick to the New York Times crosswords you're used oh, to. Good. Thank you, Arthur. That's so, so funny. Uh, Sudoku is probably less dangerous as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I just love it, and I love that there is this sort of accompanying toy that goes alongside it, and uh, it was uh, something that was able to uh, found a franchise that's gone nine movies, and so that's not nothing. Including one that was shot here in Oklahoma that's apparently not very good. Uh, correct. Look, I'm not trying to malign our our, our local filmmakers. You got to take jobs where you can get them. It's not your fault, guys. No. I blame the script. I don't blame anybody. Sometimes you get... You, you get know, what you get. You get what you get. But so that is um, both me and Arthur's number last pick. What is your number last pick, Dalton? Well, speaking of sexy demons uh, or sex demons, uh, my final pick is also carnally inclined. It is uh, Karen Kusama's Jennifer's body. Ah, uh, uh, yes. The titular body, or I guess in this case, the succubus inhabiting the titular body. Uh, we've talked about this film on the show with our very own frightful film, Kirsten Thurkelson. Uh, it's a good movie. Yes. It's extremely good, in fact. Uh, and it is... Megan Fox is a defining performance, probably. Uh, speaking of actresses who uh, did not get a shake, uh, man, that performance, her and uh, Amanda Seyfried in that movie are so good together. Uh, it really is a shame that, uh, well, Michael Bay killed her career. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and call call it as I seize it. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Uh, he's got the power to do it, and he's, you know, uh, by all accounts, the kind of turd that would do it. Uh, I think it sucks, but what are you going to do? Uh Nobody's asking me to make hiring decisions. So uh, we're just going to go ahead and hold this performance on high because it's extremely good. This film, almost 10 years old now, yes. uh, which is weird to think about, uh, but uh, really good. Man, I, I honestly wish I had gotten around to it when it was first in release because when we watched it for the, the show a couple years back, uh, first time I had ever seen it, uh, 
only time I've ever seen it up until this point, actually. Same. Uh, but man, uh, love it. Love the performance. Love the depiction of the demonic force in that film. Because as Arthur's mentioned, this one is also kind of a, an avenging demon of sorts. Um, or at the very least, a not specifically evil force of nature that uh, cannot be controlled or contended with. And uh, a great performance to match a... Uh, not really creature design so much as uh, just makeup design and, and showing the the state uh, that Jennifer is in both uh, after eating a dude and before eating a dude. There's really great subtle use of uh, uh, of makeup, giving her a real glowy look after she's killed, uh, and then giving her a real like worn out and sickly look when she is uh, needing to needing to eat. Uh, it's really cool under uh, understated makeup design in that film that I'm a big fan of, and also as mentioned, a fantastic performance. So that is my final demon. You so- know, I, I I really feel like the demon you would unlock uh, from solving a an evil Sudoku <laughs> would just be this really obnoxious, like middle aged white demon who complains about everything. <laughs> it's a math demon. Yeah. Oh no! It's your math teacher. Oh. He's a failed coach who tried to be an athlete. The he answer couldn't. to all the questions is 666. Say, what, what, what's worse, the, the Sudoku <laughs> demon or the crossword demon? Because the crossword demon is going to be pretty obnoxious, too. That's that's somebody that's uh, wanting to know if the soup comes in a different He's size. He's very elitist. Yeah, can I get like just a just a cup of soup? I know you have the bowl, but I don't I don't really want a bowl. I just want a cup. I think I'm looking for the word search demon. I think that's the demon I need in my life. Uh, yeah, party with the word search demon. <laughs> I'm going to move on. I think it's time definitely to get down to business. Hey, we're back, and we're going to do some business now. And we were that, gone for so long. I missed you guys so much. I was wondering if you'd ever return. Um, but I did um, uh, many, many years later, and I stuck a photograph in your attic. I hope that's spoopy. No, I don't like that at all. Okay. You know where I live. You could do that. Please don't. Okay. That's a prank of the year, isn't it? Oh, my God. That's a prank that you don't discover for several years. So the first thing <laughs> I want to talk about the long game. Is, is is postmodern pastiche, but I don't really want to talk theory. Okay, so postmodernism is pastiche. Uh, that is this pasting together of pieces that are disparate into a new unified whole. And that is one of the big movements in all forms of postmodern art. What we want to do here, I think, is let's just talk a bit about the pastiche of folklores uh, that we're putting together for the demons. So what are the demons' rules? What is the lore being constructed of the film? And we're just sort of flagging that ahead of time as a pastiche from various and other sources. Uh, related to this film, we don't really get much on the demon's background itself. We do realize it is some sort of demon. Pretty early, it's too. been with this girl since she was eight years old, off and on, as she's moved around, so it is attached to her personally. The haunted person rather than house? Yeah, the uh, the uh, psychic that they bring in uh, infers that it uh, feeds off of negative energy and probably major life changes. Which, when you're dating Mika, is just uh, a bottomless well from which yeah. one can draw. Uh-huh. Um, we we are uh, led to assume that this thing burnt her childhood home down. Um, but as far as mythos, we don't really get that in this film. Yeah, what we get is, as Dustin mentions, uh, a pastiche. You know, we, we get a Ouija board, uh, as as is common in, in these sorts of scenarios. Uh, we get we get bumps in the attic. Ooh, hold on. There we go. We get we get we get bumps in the attic. <laughs> very jazzy. Yeah, demon. it's a real that's a real mellow demon, baby. Uh, yeah. I like that demon. Uh, no, yeah, you're you're right though. It, it, it's uh, it's 
that's kinda, the demon that reads the spooky Saturday morning cartoons the, with you. Yeah, it is. Uh, but it's much like The Exorcist, though. It draws on the the common fear of uh, sitting in your bedroom and hearing taps in the attic. Uh, you know, the the mysterious noise in the house that cannot be located. It's not so much drawing on any specific. Uh, uh, paranormal folklore as it is just general spooky house folklore a little right. bit. Uh, now we do get some some uh, Mika reading a, a de- demon book. Uh, speaking of, for somebody that says I'm going to do some research, this motherfucker cracks a book one time. Yeah. One time this dude cracks he a book. He does find that, that site on the internet of the other girl. Oh, what whole, he did a whole Google. He did a whole Google and a whole book crack. Hey, hey, hey Mika, if you're going to be in the driver's seat on this one, do your homework, bro. So, yeah, and it's interesting because it plays around with sort of like secular uh, versions of uh, the paranormal mm. and also very, very religious. So we've got the idea of the ghost, which is the disembodied spirit of those who are dead, uh, which is much more the sort of paranormal research and investigation and eliminations kind of ghostbustery kind of thing one might do. Mm-hmm. And then we've got very much the idea of a demon, the fallen angel, the inhuman spirit. And so there's plenty that with, lives to torment, that lives to torment, that lives to torture, and also uh, very much a gothic trope. The the haunted person is that it is the sins of the past. We don't know what those sins may be, but they seem to be haunting the life of a particular person that this person themselves has touched, as opposed to what you might find in uh, the regional demon, right? So yeah. or the regional ghost. Well, we're, spe- we're speaking of Insidious, which you mentioned earlier. This is something that gets played with to really great effect in that James Wan film, I right. think. Yeah, yeah. That, that's exactly what's said. Like the house isn't haunted; it's Dalton that's haunted. Um, yeah, trust me, it's not. Out. Yeah, it's not weird at all watching Insidious when they're screaming about their uh, Dalton being the the source of all their problems. <laughs> yeah, doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, we've been screaming that for six years forever. <laughs> Oh, but no, no. <laughs> it's Shocktober. It's Christmas. Can't you be nice? <laughs> but yeah, it, it's just again this sort of uh, throwing all these different concepts into a blender. So we've got very much again the sort of gothic trope. We've got uh, bits and pieces of EVP phenomenon, the use of digital photography. Uh, again, the sort of paranormal investigation, elimination. Very much religious language, especially what uh, Mika is finding in his text about that which is inhuman, which was never human, which is some sort of fallen angel kind of thing that we're dealing with there although we don't get very deep into that and i'm glad of it frankly because we do get deep in i mean if I, dustin i know you watched the first four films in this franchise yes. uh, i've only seen the the first entry and then uh, i saw paranormal activity three when it was mm-hmm. in theaters which is a barn burner of it, a good time and it's good yeah it's uh, honestly i'm gonna go ahead and say it it's better than this one i think uh maybe. it's maybe uh it's less novel obviously but it's Way more fun. I think the pacing is a lot tighter. There's a lot more variety of uh, structure and escalation. That VHS camera uh, rigged to the oscillating it's fan. It's so good. And that you get things that are off screen and then it comes back yeah. to screen is Ugh. just a great effect. Well, and, and look, the climax, we're in the, sorry, uh, spoilers for a movie we didn't actually talk about this week, but in Paranormal Activity 3, there's a telekinetic back snapping that's absolutely insane. Um, and that's that's where we get more into the mythology of this this world. And again, I think would have been very ineffective in this first film. But we learn that witches are involved because, of course, uh, Hollywood can never stop maligning women and their uh, their innate connection to the mystical forces that govern the world. But that's neither here nor there. No, no. Um, but yes, uh, indeed. So we've got the again the sort of postmodern potpourri bag that makes up this particular film. 
which I just thought was something worth mentioning. Now, uh, let's talk about the uh, conceit of this film and all things uh, in terms of the uh, found footage, which is the gap or connection, and I think both things are at play, the gap or connection between the real, uh, quote-unquote, real-life, real-world, and the cinematic. Okay, hit me. What do you mean? Um, so, I mean, what what this movie does is it pretends to be something genuine, just like gotcha. the Blair Witch. Takes Chainsaw Massacre, Blair Witch Project, yeah. Yeah, and and at the same time, it very much is uh, pointing out how constructed it is as a film, right? That it is a thing that we've got to deal with the edits, we've got the uh, initial acknowledgement from Paramount Studios. Yeah. Got the title cards throughout. I mean, the only acknowledgement that this is actually, in fact, a film is the very brief... Uh, uh, the following was a fictitious thing, yeah. any resemblance to persons living or dead, yada, yada, yada. And that is buried at the end of the movie. You could very conceivably watch this film, get up, take your popcorn, and exit the theater With and not scene. see that title card. Because it doesn't run credits nope. like a traditional film. It just has a little post postscript thing where it says, again, thanks for the bodies were found, or she was never found again. Like it has their little... Yep. Uh, what happened since biopic thing, but and then there's the very very brief stamp of the you know MPAA number blah 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 blah, and it's a big wall of text. You very conceivably could have not read that, uh, and yeah, no traditional credit. So I think this film does a a fine job of uh, concealing its hand, uh, and I think that's a big part of you know these these films that Dustin's talking about. If you're going to try and breathe an air of reality onto your film, you got to kind of hide the seams. Uh, wherever you can, right? Right. And and this is cheap through a handful of uh, formal effects, right? So the use of consumer-grade uh, photography equipment. Mm-hmm. So th- that's, th- that's the first big thing. And the night shots themselves looking very blue and uh, like you might if you have, like, the night vision version of uh, various kinds of, you know, again, sort of consumer-grade, mini-DV uh, kinds of things. Uh, clearly, Mika is uh, very, very wealthy. And he's mentioned that he's a day trader. Yeah, so he's, you know, he's got a lot of cash sort of slinging and around. his, his wife's head. a student. So yeah. uh, it's she, and that she, house is very nice. I don't know if you guys caught this. She asks him how much he spent on the camera, and he said about what I make in a day. About half what I make today. That's what yeah. I, half of what yep. I make in a day. Yeah, yeah. So presumably several thousand dollars. It's, it's a very very expensive piece of equipment, and so the quality is better than what you'd get from your cell phone per se. But it still is not quite of that quality that you'd get from shooting on thirty five millimeter celluloid or like a Canon, um, whatever those Canon, yeah, uh, or red, red, red or whatever, cam- yeah, yeah, a red camera. And I think that's probably speaks to, uh, as we're talking about consumer-grade electronics, I think that speaks to why found footage films didn't really take off until uh, after Paranormal Activity as opposed to after The Blair Witch Project. Because in 2009, when this film hits, it is right at the time that consumer-grade cameras are getting to be of a high enough quality that you know it's not caustic to the audience to make them watch it for 90 minutes i mean it is right at the time where the narrative conceit of these people have a camera on them is not that weird yeah and so yeah the ubiquity of that kind of camera the ubiquity of just surveillance footage in general uh the second film makes great use of that that's uh, how it's shot right it is almost all through their like house's security system there's right? a, there's a handheld that's also used as shot in color mm-hmm. but there uh, well i guess the other color as well it's in blue and it's shot at night mm-hmm. same kind of effect there but yeah they have a break in and they install six or seven uh security cameras throughout could the house could it be perhaps a break in that was 
a paranormal. It was uh, something of a paranormal breaking. Mm, yes. Yes. Um, the ghost Toby is after uh, the baby. As embodied by Katie, right? I uh, assume that's where this second movie goes. The, I actually haven't seen the second the, one. The movies are in reverse order, it turns out. So Paranormal Activity. No, three's a prequel. Yeah, well, two's a prequel. Two is also a prequel. Directly before the events of the first. Really? And okay. then three is decades before gotcha. while they are children. Okay. So, so Okay, so two is probably when she's like 13 years old or whatever? No, two. No, they're Two's both about adults. her sister, right? Two's about her sister. They're both adults. In fact, Katie oh. appears as Katie. Oh. And some of the things that are beginning to go on in the house happen. So, I, I was so, there's some, so basically the second one, I assume, reveals to you fairly early on. Surprise, it's not actually a sequel, it's a prequel. The ghost is, the, the demon is after both sisters. Mm-hmm. Both sisters okay. have been pledged to the ghost, and they're after a male child. Sister in the second film has had a male child called Hunter. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hunter is uh, being pursued by the demon. They figure that out by the end of the film, and they have a seance of sorts to send the demon away from Sister of Part 2 into to Katie. Katie's house. Oh, no! And so the last scene goes in about the same time of the last scene of the first film, gotcha. in which bloody Katie comes in, kills some folk, and Take takes the baby. the baby. Gotcha, okay. And then 3 is about the, the witches that pledged them right. to the baby. And then the Part 4 moves over to what Katie has now done with Hunter as they are putting together some sort of life of their own. So where does uh, Hereditary like, fall into the timeline? Her- <laughs> Her- hereditary is uh, uh, co-equal uh, with part seven. Got it. Is- very very good, Arthur. Thank you for that. So what, what do we feel here, Dustin, since we've gone ahead and teased out the mythology just so we all know where we stand? I Honestly, I appreciate it because now I don't have to read a bunch of Wikipedia articles. Uh, since you're the only one that is uh, as versed in this franchise, uh, you're literally the only one versed in this franchise. Uh, what what do you feel about as a whole? How, how does this work in terms of kind of building out that mythology that we've kind of talked about already? And do you, do you feel like it works? And uh, how does it work with this continued uh, narrative conceit of realness? Oh, I would say that the the narrative conceit of reality does work if you go ahead and contend that, okay, these are all found bits of video, uh, that the part of the break-in is a bunch of old VHS tapes that have been taken away in Part 2, yeah, which are that. the VHS tapes of Part 3. So yes. that works, and uh, there's a way in which it's it's really well retconned that it seems like maybe those ideas were not in place necessarily when uh, the original films were made, but hey, they gave us more money, we made enough of a profit that they're going to go ahead and make yet another sequel. And, so, and at that point, they probably wrote out a pretty dense mythology, you think? Yeah, I think so. And uh, that they're they're still managing to find ways to make it work. Even the marked ones, which I hadn't reseen for the sake of this mm-hmm. week, but That's I have five or six. Uh, five. Okay, and then six is Ghost Dimension, right? Ghost. I know it's the last one. Maybe I've seen them both. I okay. didn't realize I'd seen so so many movies. My life is Damn. gone from me. Um, but Marked Ones is kind of the, the spin-off movie, correct? Yes. Okay. And, but it does connect the dots to the sort of cult of Toby. And okay. there are more than one of these children mm. that have been sort of promised to the demon mm. and whatever the demon lore is. But there's uh, some crazy stuff that happens where there's a room in which you sort of uh, – or a building in which you can transport – through time and space, and uh, a character finds themselves in scenes of Paranormal Activity uh, Episode 1 and Episode 3. Damn, uh, I kind of want to watch the sequel. It's, it, it's nuts. Yeah, we got some Back to the Future uh, Part 2 stuff going uh, on here. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of that. And so 
that all it, it generally works together, but it's all it's all found in the haunted technology at that point. Mm. And so that's where this thing becomes something really, really interesting. That we are moving away from a haunting of place mm-hmm. to a haunting of person, mm-hmm. which uh, ends up becoming a haunting of media. Ring style. Ring style, yeah. Yeah. And so that's where those things are possessing of spirit, capital S, um, and, and in a more generic kind of sense. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty fascinating in, in what they're doing there and the way in which in our sort of c- current malaise where we are less attached to a place, it seems like the horror of the 20th century, the 19th century, was very much tied up in locale and location because people did not move from those six blocks they lived in. And so you have less of a horror film like, say, Stir of Echoes, which is all about this place in which all these people have lived forever. Kevin Bacon's never moved on in his life ever to a place in which people are mobile. Um, upwardly and outwardly mobile, and uh, that they're telecommuters, they're living in different places, uh, that Mika is working without an office in a uh, on Wall Street, without being on Wall Street, in fact, being an entire coast separate from it, and that this move in the suburbs is not what brings about the haunting, a la poltergeist, but rather this move is just a moment in which what, could, what was already going on can be exacerbated, um, that there's already something going on with the person themselves, that they have their own demons that they carry along with them you know rather than the place it is about personal psychology and personal torment and personal post-traumatic stress well i think that is a very good segue into something that i wanted to discuss uh that i already alluded to a little bit uh let's talk about gender in this movie oh uh, my gosh now yes. I, I, look i i made an offhand comment that i want to clarify about uh women being depicted as uh connected to the spiritual and the mystical I, look i don't necessarily think that because that's uh, its own kind of benign sexism but i think film and folklore in its forms yeah. bingo yeah like, uh, pedestals of saint is just a different kind of cage etc but media uh whether it's film literature folklore uh, often draws these connections for us. And I think Paranormal Activity, uh, specifically the first film, but even Part 3, which is about a coven of witches, uh, continues to draw those conclusions and, you know, says gross things. So let's stick to the first movie. Uh, Katie is obviously more connected to the the haunting because it is haunting her. Um, so she has this kind of innate connection to it. And Mika is divorced from that connection in a way that makes him lash out. Uh, and it's really irritating Let's talk Mika and what a douchebag he is, right? Yeah, me. I mean, you said something in the group chat about fragile masculinity, and that is his problem, is that he sees this as a situation that he is supposed to solve. And I was actually Arthur that said that. I oh, was just ranting and raving yeah. about him. Yeah. Yes, well, Arthur was the... Well, well yeah, I mean, his, his lady has been betro- or slapped, and now he's got to stand up for her honor, and he won't have any of it, right, from any help. He won't have anybody come into his system he because refuses he's a man. To, he refuses to pull over and ask for directions. He is a man, and he knows all. Yeah, I'm going to change my own oil even though I don't know hell, and I'm not going to have anybody help me because then I would have to admit my lack of ability and knowledge about changing oil even though I've never done it before. This is also the man that as soon as he buys a very expensive camera, one of the first things he uh, suggests is that they they do it. Yeah, they do a sex tape, yeah. Mika, you're being haunted. Dial it back a little bit, bro. Calm down. And we never really understand how serious he's taking, like... That's the thing. Like, it's did it frustrate? Does it work for you, Arthur? Or does it frustrate you? Because I found myself kind of in both shoes. It makes sense in the beginning, but the longer it goes, like his, 
And I assume it's, you know, I, I think you can say it's demonic influence in the house is causing the negativity. Okay. Uh, I think that's part of it, right? It feeds off the negative energy. That mm-hmm. seed is laid early on. And so after that point, almost every instance of them in the daytime is filled with arguments. I mean, the arguments kind of escalate. Mika becomes more stubborn. Um, and she just wants to be heard. Like, she just wants to be heard. Like, let's get help and let's just solve this the easy way, uh, as easy as we can. Uh, but no, and, and, you know, it escalates to a point where he's like, okay, let's get out of the house. Now let's go back to the house. Like, this one night away is going to solve anything. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's a man whose, whose pride and his, uh, mojo is under attack and he's concerned he can't be providing and he's got to, you know, be Superman and, it's frustrating because it's, it's vexing. And as you mentioned, yeah, as soon as he admits that he's out of control, it's been out of control for weeks. Like, as soon as he's like, okay, fine, we can get out of the house for a night. She's already uh, fully uh, ghostified and doesn't want to leave the house. Well, and it's it's, it's all about this sort of capitalist uh, underpinning to Mika. It usually is for you. That um, he is an embodiment of the patriarchy and that his possessions are acting out of hand. And well, as Arthur's mentioned, yeah, she is, she's not even a teacher yet. She's in school to be a teacher, and this is presumably financed by his day trading. Yeah, and, and because his possession of his girlfriend, his possession of his house, his possession of their relationship is not acting the way that it acts appropriately, he is going to just dominate and form mastery over those things by the sheer force of his will, because that's what he's been taught, works uh, well, up until this point in his life. Yeah, and he, he alludes to this in that scene where he's like, you know, you could have mentioned that uh, you were being haunted. And she's like, when was I supposed to mention that on the first date? He goes, I don't know, maybe the 20th or 30th or maybe before we moved in together. And it's like, hey, buddy. Not all the skeletons are going to fall out of the closet right away. Sometimes these things uh, just happen, and you got to roll with the punches, bro. Well, okay, I will. I will give Mika this much. It is a semi-valid point. It is a little bit of a valid point, but he could have reacted to it a little bit better. Is what that, I'm getting that at. That our baggage does need to come up at some point. It's it's probably a little unfair. And as a person who has carried some of the skeletons well into his marriage before revealing some of them, Oops. that that maybe not a great idea. Yeah, no, I, for sure. I look as people who are all in committed relationships. I'm sure we've had these conversations. And uh, in, in our lives, uh, the earlier the better, yes. uh, especially if there's a ghost involved. Uh, but look, if you're either you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound, dude. Like, deal with it. She didn't tell you about the demon. Call I, the demonologist, yes, you dipshit. Time to move on. Yeah, yeah. And it's just as Arthur mentioned, it's he just refuses, refuses to concede that he is not in control of the situation. The film directly addresses this. She's like, "Oh, you're in control. Cool. Right on." Uh, like Katie making forcing him to uh, doing her best to try and force him to acknowledge that he's not in control is always funny uh, and very irritating the entire movie. Uh, but I think you're right, Dustin. I think it does speak to this idea of uh, ownership, and uh, as Arthur mentioned, I think it speaks to this refusal uh, in society for men to concede their uh, lack of ability. Yeah, absolutely. So, at what point are you out of the house? Hmm. At what point are you like, yeah, you're right. Let's do this and get out. Well, definitely before my picture gets smashed. I mean, that's that's a non-starter. But it's probably even before that. I mean, uh, what fl- was flaming Ouija board before picture gets smashed? I I never bring a Ouija board to the damn house. No, I'll tell no, you that I'm much. out on that. I'm yeah. not. I'm, I'm not a fucking chance. Do I bring a Ouija board into a house? I think is haunted. Are you kidding me? No, I think Ooh, it's, it's footprints. Right? I mean, that's isn't uh, it that before the Ouija board? See, I, I'm not. Because me, the footprints is like, ah, I'm uh, good. Is footprints the night that she gets dragged across the room though? I don't think so. Is that later? I think that's later. 
see, I'm believing the professional before all this, so I'm not leaving the house at all. Demonologist comes in and says, if you leave, it follows. Okay, fine. Let's handle the situation. Well, yeah, when, when Psychic comes in and says you can't run from this, you call the demonologist that he referred you to. You don't right. wait for three weeks to find out the guy went on vacation. Yeah, I get me an exorcist right away. But I, are spoopy, I mean, a young I mean, are the spoopy priest sounds enough? Priest, uh, spoopy sounds probably not enough. I would think deeply disturbed partner is enough, uh, mm-hmm. even if I'm not taking it seriously. Because, look, there are moments where I see Meek and I'm like, okay, it me. I'm not going to. I'm yeah. You, guys, you've known me for six years yeah. now. I'm not the guy that's going to be like, it's a ghost. I'm going to be the guy that needs to learn the hard way it's probably a ghost. But, yeah, I'm I'm calling somebody with some holy water uh, or some incense, like, as soon as I'm sure yeah. it's going on. Right. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm not waiting. I'm seeing the doors opening. I'm I'm. I'm the things are moving. Scary door opening, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 yeah. the, I'm, I'm the flowers blowing. I'm like, yeah. okay, there, yeah, something's happening, and that does not make any sense, you know, in a rational sense. Scary door opening, I am convinced that there's a spoop going on, and I'm calling somebody that's a psychic, even if I don't totally buy it. Yeah. yeah. Burn then, some sage. Do whatever you gotta do. And I'm all for saying, you know, it, it might be entirely psychological, it might be entirely sort of, you know, something therapeutic that needs to happen, but I also, uh, I'm with the exorcist kind of theory on this, that... <laughs> It, it, indeed, there might be a real, actual spiritual being that needs to be moved out by someone who knows how to do that kind of thing, or the self, the the, the act or the rite itself is a stylized event that provides a therapeutic healing for the person. I really don't care which of those things it is, but let's do the thing. All I'm saying is, this guy keeps talking about all the research he's doing, and not once, not once, nary a single time does my man make a salt circle. Not one time. No. Hey, Mika, <laughs> how many books did you read that you haven't even thought about drawing the damn salt circle? Even I know that shit. Get with it, man. Right. Get a damn crystal up in that house, bro. Ugh. Something. It's infuriating. It, it. The entire time I was texting both of you because it was driving me nuts. It's. He's a very infuriating character, and I'm glad he died. Y- yes, I am too. He got what he deserved. <laughs> we had a happy ending here. Yeah, no, I think it's a very happy ending. Mika uh, got what he deserved, and Katie ended up with her true love. <laughs> no, that's not what happened. No. Katie's also a casualty in yeah, this. It's yeah. a real bummer. Yeah, that's sad for yeah. Katie. It's 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 it sucks. Not to mention murdering her brother in law and stealing her nephew. Yeah, well we don't know that in part one. No, but we do eventually. Yeah, I well look, I'm sticking to the canon of the first film. Yeah, it's still disturbing. It's a bad deal. Yeah. And her, is it her stepdad in the third one? Do we ever know what goes it on? It is a stepdad. It is yes. a stepdad. Okay. Is the dad already alluded to have been killed prior to the events of that film? I think he's just moved on. Yeah, g- good for him. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I I think mom, um, uh, grandma, I guess, of Katie, and mm-hmm. uh, what is, oh, God, I cannot think of the, Can't other, either. the, the other uh, sister's name, um, but uh, yeah, grandma may have been an influence in not keeping a man around, mm-hmm. so well, that's not so good. Well, she tends to telekinetically snap their backs when they do stick around. Also so. very unpleasant. Damn, Paranormal Activity 3 is wild. Yeah, it's a nutso movie. All right, we got anything else that uh, anybody wants to talk about? No, I think we need to talk about a verdict then. It sounds like it's that time. All right, so Dalton, shelf or trash, else or instead, paranormal activity, go. I'm going to go ahead and say shelf. Uh, we have kind of talked a lot, uh, or at least a little, uh, about the the importance of this film, just kind of in terms of where it lies in the canon of uh, found footage horror films. Um, again, it's no... Um, Blair Witch Project, or God, even a year before that, what is it, The Lost Tapes? I forget what it's called. There's a film that's frequently mentioned as predating uh, the Blair Witch Project. Cannibal Holocaust? Uh, 
Uh, no, there's one. From, well, obviously, Cannibal Holocaust too. But there's a uh, one from like two a year or two before. Hmm. Uh, it's like a Canadian film. Ninety seven. I don't something. know that movie. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like the Black Christmas to Halloween. Uh, okay, I got okay. you exactly. So, but let's for all intents and purposes, the Blair Witch is the film that kind of codifies this mode of horror filmmaking. Yes, there are pre existing examples that uh, gore and horror nerds were aware of, but it wasn't really until the fucking colossal success of the Blair Witch Project has this become like something that is in the public consciousness and it is not until paranormal activity that it spawns an entire mode and subgenre of horror. So I say for that reason alone, it is important in uh, its shelfitude uh, for the sake of its place in horror films. Uh, it's good, as we've mentioned. It is very effective. Um, there are better horror movies. I think the Blair Witch is a much better film than paranormal activity. Uh, but paranormal activity is a crowd pleaser. If you're having a party, you put on paranormal activity. If you're having a movie night, you put on the Blair Witch Project, and I think that's the difference. Uh, but it, that does not negate its importance, or uh, it's it's fun. So I say definitely shelve it. What do you pair with it? We've already talked about Paranormal Activity 3. It's the only other one in the franchise I've seen, but it's buck wild, has a really fun um, early 90s aesthetic, and it does a really good job of... Uh, there's actually a couple of jokes about uh, the heft of the technology if i remember right uh, mm -hmm. there's mention made of how much harder it is to record things in your own home in the 90s which i think is really funny um just for the sake of what they're doing um i'm gonna recommend obviously we've talked about the blair witch project sure you should watch that with it as well but i'm gonna mention two uh lesser known found footage films that uh, i saw on streaming uh the first is afflicted which I don't know that anybody has seen. Uh, Afflicted is really great. Uh, the less you know going in, the better. Uh, but it kind of sits in this weird action horror film uh, pocket. Uh, it is, I'll just read the IMDb synopsis. Uh, two best friends see their trip of a lifetime take a dark turn when one of them is struck by a mysterious affliction. Now in a foreign land, they race to uncover the source before it consumes him completely. So it's mm. uh, got a little body horror, uh, but it's got some, it, it, it's like, what if Chronicle was a body horror movie? Uh, so that's all I'll say. Afflicted, really great. Uh, and the next one is The Conspiracy, which I think is a Canadian film. Um, also one that I, I think it was on Netflix for a while. Uh, basically, it's uh, every uh, New World Order truther's wet dream. Nice. Uh, but uh, it, it starts off as two documentarians are like interviewing a real nutty conspiracy theorist guy, and they're kind of like having a laugh at his expense. And then he goes missing. Uh, and all of his uh, nutty corkboard pictures and string go missing too uh and they realize wait a second was this guy that we were interviewing about being conspiracy theory not onto something and uh look it ends in a whole bilderberg group type thing but uh it's a pretty fun ride uh so those are two lesser uh found footage films that uh, don't have the uh the heavyweight status that uh, paranormal activity or the blair witch project have that i think are definitely a result of paranormal activity success but uh Definitely worth catching. You gotta, you gotta see what is spawned by these big cultural touchstones for sure. Nicely played, nicely played. What do you say, Arthur Gordon? Do you say shelf or do you say trash? And what else do you say, or instead? You know, the more we've talked about, the the, the warmer I've gotten on it. I, I do think it's an effective film, and I, I will say, uh, you know, we really didn't get into the production side of this film, which was a big story when it came out. It was really interesting stuff. Dirt uh, cheap. You that and just the, you know, there were contests to get this movie opening in your city and things like that, which was really not something you saw a lot of at that time. Um, 
And so uh, I think for that alone, and its reputation, I think, precedes it. And so I, I, I would say shelf it. Uh, it feels like its reputation has maintained its uh, franchisification better than the Saw movies. I'd say so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I would also, uh, blah, 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 blah. With it, I would go with, I, I think you go back to that time period, 2007, 2008. Uh, there's another movie on the flip side of this that was found footage that kind of drove traffic as well. And that was... Uh, uh, Cloverfield. Oh yeah, duh. Yeah, no, no. Um, you, you've got to see the other one. I mean, they they both made that push for found footage over the next you know decade or so, uh, and and ongoing. Uh, so I see you watch Cloverfield. Um, I would also check out. Uh, you want to talk about guys with movie cameras? You got to watch Creep. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this one as well, and then finally, um, I would end with uh, Sinister. I, I think Sinister pairs well here as well. Uh, just more movie tapes and demons and spoopiness happening. Yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting that we ended up watching this right after The Ring. I, I, I'm surprised how well they ended up fitting together. And uh, if we were actively, if we'd planned this marathon a little bit differently, we easily could have followed this week up with Sinister, I think, Arthur. So good pick there. Absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, I'm also going to say Shelf. And Sinister is one of the films I think to watch with. Although it's not a found footage itself, it is about the use of finding footage and the footage itself being haunted. That's what's so cool about Sinister, I think, yeah. because it comes after all these found footage movies, and it's like, what happens to the person who finds these damn haunted tapes? What does this person's life turn we into? We are all Ethan Hawke. Oh, God. Oh. Uh, I don't like that at all. Oh, man. All these found footage horror movies I've seen are going nowhere fast. But I want to run backwards in time a little bit. I want to think about the idea of moving into the suburbs to find the haunted place, the gothic thing, and the use of technology to mediate communication in that way. And I'm thinking Poltergeist. I knew it, yeah. You know, Carol Ann lost in the television set, but not really in the television set, and the supernatural investigation, the unbelieving husband, all of that sort of stuff is all tied up there in Toby Hooper's um, Poltergeist. I never forget that your beautiful subdivision is built on the bones of people that uh, had their land stolen from them. Yes, uh, and every Every subdivision is built on Every that. single subdivision. Hey, Europe, you don't get out of the scot-free either. People got pillaged there, too. We just didn't have written records of it yet. Well, no, no matter where you go in the Western Hemisphere, you're in Indian territory. No, and for it, sure. So that, I'm just saying that uh, the Eastern Hemisphere doesn't get off scot-free no, either. No, it, it does not. Absolutely. So, hey, uh, Spain, the only reason you got all that good architecture is you kick the Moors out. Dickheads. Ooh, golly. So there, every, every, everyone is uh has got blood on their hands. Yeah, we are all guilty. We are all part of the complicit um, treachery. So there you go. Um, that is our talk on paranormal activity. Um, I believe the picker of the film next is Pazuzu. 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 What film will we watch next? Knock once for the fly. Knock twice. I don't know what that means. Cool runnings, I think. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that is what Bazuzu wants to watch. Uh, well, Bazuzu doesn't get to vote because he's not playing along, so it will be my pick next week. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, speaking of uh, complicity, uh, complacency, and all sorts of other C's uh, and a couple of isms, uh, we're going to watch the scariest film of the last couple of years, and that's Green Room, baby. All right. Uh, Man, uh, I said it when we talked about Green Room back on our, uh, I think it was an episode of Back to the Movies back in 2016 where we did a big end-of-the-year roundtable where I said it was accidentally the most political horror film of 2016, and uh, we'll see if that holds water uh, just over two years later. Uh, we're going to revisit uh, Jeremy Sonier's Green Room uh, because I went through the list of like all the horror films I've given five, four and a half, four or five stars on Letterboxd, and it turns out we've reviewed most of them on this show. Uh, and have given them a deep dive analysis. So uh, I was like, well, we got to pick something a little bit newer. And uh, 
I, I, I spun plates on a couple of movies and I kept coming back to Green Room because I like it that much. And uh, it's my kind of horror movie. It's it's uh, look, ghosts don't scare me, but situations as depicted in Green Room really stress me out. So that's what we're gonna watch. All right, so there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got longer and a little bit more punk rock, which is a great way to connect to the found footage film, which is a very punk rock way of making films. And so we'll be talking about that. You keep watching. We'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for turning in to the Good Trash Genrecast, a product of Good Trash Media. For more Good Trash content, head over to GoodTrashMedia.com. Our intro this week is an original composition by friend of the show, Aaron Rodgers. Not that Aaron Rodgers. And our outro comes to us from the third largest popular folk comedy duo out, out of New Zealand, Flight of the Concords. This is Demon Woman. Familiars, nice to meet you. You cast your spell. 